Well, hello and welcome to our Thinking Biblically podcast. This is episode four that we produce here at Perimeter Church. I'm Jeff Norris. Uh, I serve as a senior pastor at Perimeter. And today I'm joined uh, by my good friend and mentor and longtime senior pastor at Perimeter Church, Randy Pope. Randy served here, uh, the founding pastor, uh, founded the church here in 1977, served for 42 years leading the church as its lead pastor, and then now continues to serve with us full-time on staff as the founder and president of Life on Life Missional Discipleship and all that comes with that. So, Randy, thanks for joining me today. It's great to have you uh, here in the studio with Thank me. Thank you. Good to be with you. Yeah, we're uh, we're wanting to jump right in and tackle some, some issues that... Uh, are certainly controversial, and that's part of what we want to do in this in this podcast. The nature of the Thinking Biblically podcast is to take some some issues, some things that are going on, usually culturally, uh, within our country, within our world, whatever it may be, and uh, say, "Hey, there's a lot of opinions on this. There's a lot of talk about this. Again, whatever this you may be, and um, how should we think about it?" As Christians, how should we uh, allow the scriptures to shape us and lead us? And uh, sometimes that can be somewhat straightforward because the Bible speaks directly to it. Other times it can be a little um, harder because you go, well, there's there's not a verse that I can point exactly to. However, there is wisdom that we can glean from the scriptures that give us insight and perspective to help us go, okay. This is this is good biblical application, biblical wisdom on this particular issue. So uh, here we are, the end of 2020. You know, many would say, certainly I think probably most would say that uh, in our lifetime, even those who are older would say, I, I don't remember a year where you you had the the congruence of all these things at once, where you have an election year and you have social unrest and you have certainly the pandemic and um, and all the mixture of what 2020 has been. And people are are weary and tired. And the I think part of what goes on here is the more tired we get, the more frustrated we get, and the more opinionated we get, and so on and so forth. And so we have a certain uh, um, way in which the culture is engaging with one another right now, even within the church, over issues that carry with them strong, strong opinions. And so we thought, let's talk about it. Let's see where the Lord may lead in a conversation between you and me. And uh, our heart and hope in this podcast is just to, to share wisdom uh, from the scriptures. And this is not so much Jeff and Randy's opinion uh, as it is, hey, we're going to try our best is those uh, in the church who have been tasked by God with the responsibility of leading the flock and giving uh, shepherding and teaching to the flock of God, trying to just uh, uh, to lead and teach in that way. So um, let's jump in. Sound good? Sounds good to me. Yep. All right. Um, let's start with when you think about the church and uh, historically, not just only in America, but just even throughout the history of the church, what role is the church to play in politics? When when do we think, uh, based on how God uh, speaks in Scripture and the examples that we have in Scripture uh, from the early church and so forth, when does the church need to say, yeah, this is absolutely an, uh, an opportunity that we need to take and speak from the pulpit and say, this is, 
this is something we need to speak up on versus, uh, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to stay a little bit behind the scenes on this and, and let the scriptures be what they are in a way that we're individually we're led to different, uh, potentially different political conclusions. Um, and so I certainly have some thoughts. I'd love to hear your thoughts first, Randy, and then I'll, I'll jump in there. But yeah, how would you speak to that as you hear that? Well, I have addressed that uh, over the 42 years and made it my intention every membership class, everyone, to have a, a special little segment that I would address that question. It always would be one of the questions that I would address. We had a Q&A, but I'm going to ask four questions for you because I believe these are the important questions we've got to, to deal with. And the idea was to help prepare us for this kind of confusion. What you know, what do I, what do you say about and what's right, what's wrong? I always say, one, we are not to be political. Now, what is political? That's another debate. But in my opinion, if you rest, this is political, then we don't do it in the church. We just don't do it. Uh, number one, I don't see any biblical basis to do it. Uh, it's against the law. Uh, that's a good reason in and of itself right there. And it serves no true value. So why would we even want to do that? Now, let me kind of go a little deeper on that, though, because when we talk about being political, uh, we're not Republican and we're not Democratic. And I say we live in a community that it may be more one than the other. But at the same time, we won't in any way endorse a candidate. We're not going to, going to, and I used to use this illustration. I said, one of our most beloved staff of years and years that we just believe the, would be the best candidate in the world might run for the presidency of the United States. However, we would never endorse that person. All we would do is say, these are candidates from our church that are running. Do your homework. Find out what you think they believe and where you stand and so forth. Now, we're going to teach moral issues we're going to very strongly teach moral issues. And, and you need to apply that. But the church is not to be holding up a political sign saying, here's where we're going. This is what we believe is the right thing. Yeah. That's the Christian. It's a citizen. We are citizens of heaven and we're citizens on earth. This is a citizenship issue for earth. And we need to equip them with moral realities, what's morally correct and incorrect. And then you apply it to your politics. So uh, we've never really, uh, we've never done that. Mm. Never. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There's, a, I'll, I'll read a little excerpt here because Francis Schaeffer's, you know, one of the giants of the faith and certainly one of the great theologians of the 20th century and and a major impact on, on so many within the church, the way the Lord used him in his lifetime. It's interesting. I came across this yesterday, in fact, um, an article that was published about the book that he wrote exactly 50 years ago. So we're looking at 1970, and he, he wrote a book called The Church at the End of the 20th Century. And uh, in the book, it's, it's a short book, but in it, he, he talks about uh, what to expect. What are we, what are we, what's the trajectory of the church? And he even thought, you know, by the end of the 20th century, it, as it turns out, it's a little bit beyond that. But it's amazing how prophetic he was in this little book of kind of where we're sitting today. And, and, and this is how he opens the book. He describes a society, and see if this sounds familiar, marked by increasing polarization, disillusionment, and a loss of hope, the combination of which was careening towards chaos. 
Politically, Schaefer laments an environment where classic liberalism has committed suicide, ruined by the pursuit of autonomous freedom, divorced from Judeo-Christian values that birthed such freedoms. He writes about the reality of historic Christianity becoming the minority in the West, stripped of cultural power and influence. And then he says this, Schaefer identifies a great danger for evangelicals. He, he talks about how there's going to be a time where evangelicals are pressed to take sides with political elites in order to retain comfort, affluence, and personal peace. So uh, without spending too much time on this, I thought a couple of things that he said that I thought are really relatable to today and helpful for our how we might think uh, correctly and even biblically about this. He says that... Um, uh, uh, at this very juncture, Schaefer believes that the church should resolutely remain on the outside, not on any particular side of the political aisle, to speak on behalf of Christ and Scripture, truth, and love. That is, the church should work for what is right while rejecting both political polarization and also cultural capitulation. Um, so that's interesting how in some ways, what you're saying, Randy, is that's what Schaefer was saying. It's like there's absolutely there there are um, clear so things that are so clear biblically that we would say, hey, that, that gets talked a lot about politically. But man, that is so clear. We've got to talk about this. I mean, abortion would be a good example of this, where we'd say uh, we've preached from the scriptures. Sure. Many times in, in, in the life of perimeter oh, absolutely. from the pulpit on the atrocities of abortion and how that is uh, against what God desires, right? And so uh, we, we would say there's, there are certain times where, yeah, of course, things that are being talked about politically that are so clearly identified in Scripture, we're going to preach that because it's the Word of God, mm-hmm. and it's very clear in the Word of God. Um, however, as it comes to, as you said, endorsing candidates— platforms, whatever it may be, um, that's the role of the individual citizen of heaven who happens to be a citizen of America, who's being led by the scriptures as he's being trained and equipped in the scriptures by yeah. his or her church, yeah, right? Yeah, I like, I like to think of it, in a sense, this will offend everybody, but um, there's a sense in which I look at one party and I say, okay, this would be, let's liken it unto the tax gatherers and sinners. Mm. And here's another party, and let's liken it unto the Pharisees and the scribes. And you say, now, which one is the God-honoring, the most God-honoring of these two? Well, you could argue, well, look how much of the law that they keep. Look how accurate they are about, and so forth and so on. And then over here, you can say, well, my goodness, you know, look where, look where they're going. And right. So you, you look at that and say, but wait, 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 neither is a Christian party. Right. Neither is a, a pure righteous motive and heart that's coming into this, not at all. Right. And, and good that, it's, that it is what it is. This is a kingdom on earth, and they have two parties for the people of this, of this country and so forth. And you have to make decisions. Where do you think is the—I've had the best discussions with people who are on different sides of the aisle mm-hmm. from where I would be. Mm-hmm. And hear their heart and why that they would be where they are. Here's a for instance. I, I said years ago, uh, four years ago, all right, one party wins, I bet the church loses its freedom. Hmm. Another party wins, I bet the church loses its relevancy. Hmm. Now, let's debate. Which is the worst to lose? 
And some argue, I think, the freedom. Other people say, I think relevancy. And then they get so strong on this is the only way to do. And I go, wait, every party's going to lose. We're going to lose somewhere, something. Right. And so be wise, be careful, be thoughtful, follow your conviction. But at the same time, keep in mind, it's not as clear cut as we like to think it is. Sure. You think with the title of the podcast, Thinking Biblically, where would we go to biblically? A couple of things that I'll say, and then I'll I'll, uh-huh. I'll cue you on something that you shared with me a few days ago when we were talking about all this. Uh, you know, one thing I think about is, think about of all the people in all of Israel that Jesus could have gathered to be his 12, chosen to be his 12. Uh when you think about who he gathered, it's okay. It's 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 a great diverse array of people in a lot of different ways. But one of those Even ways political. is, is politically, yeah. absolutely. So, two of his twelve could not have been on further ends of the spectrum politically. So, on one end, you've got you've got Matthew, Matthew. tax collector, who was faithful to Rome and seen as a traitor by those who Jews in Israel, uh, and then on the other end. On the farthest end possible, you've got Simon the Zealot, who has devoted his entire life to fight and protest against the authority of Rome over them, over the Jews. And and it's not by mistake that Jesus, sovereign as he is, says, I'm going to take these two on total opposite ends of the political spectrum, and I'm going to draw them into a new kingdom uh, Mm -hmm. to teach them a new way to unite them, not based on political alignment, but based on the kingdom of, yep. of Jesus. Absolutely. And, and so what does that look like today, right? And, and it, it, I'll, one more thing I'll say from Schaefer that I thought was just so poignant. He says, um, one of the things he says is so critical that has to be on display in the church, has to be. As things become more polarized, as things become more intense, uh, And this is what he wrote. This is, again, 1970. He says, if others cannot see something beautiful in our human relationships, if they do not see that upon the basis of what Christ has done, our Christian communities can indeed stop bickering. They can stop their fighting and their infighting. If we can't do that, then we are not living properly. He says, our love must have a form that the world may observe it must be uh, seeable. It must be seeable. The person commentating on this quote just simply said this, uh, like no other year in memory, congregations are torn by ethnic tensions, a a contested election, and a pandemic response. If we're going to wage war, may it start on our own divisiveness within the church. Amen and amen. Um, And so I'd love to, you know, one of the things you mentioned to me, um, is again biblical like where do we go biblically about making political statements you had just in passing mentioned that look at the early church you don't see the early church making any political statement yet any if any people of the christian faith at any time had good reason to rise up and say we will not take this from you we're the church and you're the government and you must we're going to fight you we're going to stand against you Jesus just didn't allow that. Yeah. You know, he, he just said, no, we're not doing that. That's right. So I, I definitely think we better be careful about bringing the political agenda into the life of the church 
uh, it will erode the foundation of the church. Mm. It will erode. And for sure, what God says is most important won't become most important. Mm -hmm. It's like we have issues that touch us so emotionally that it can sometimes flip us from our balance of the Christian faith. We can get so wrapped up in our children, nothing wrong with children. Sure. We get so wrapped up in them that everything's about children. And next thing you know, we're not thinking about lost people. We're not thinking about kingdom uh, uh, identity. We're not thinking about all these important things that we should be focusing on. And it becomes a focus on something very important, but not what was ever supposed to be our primary focus. Right. And that's the danger I think we face. You know, I find it interesting, so well said, Randy, I find it interesting that uh, the Apostle Peter, again, you, you have to really dig deep. Do they say anything about the Roman government over them at that time in the early church? And uh, you got the Apostle Peter here who, um, in 1 Peter 2.17, he just simply says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God. And then he says, honor the emperor, <laughs> which if you do your you're adding, adding up of when would he have written that and who was the emperor at the time. It's, it's almost certain that the emperor at the time was Nero. Nero yeah. And Nero was one of the most ruthless oh. emperors over Christians. He would burn them at the stake, put tar on them, use them as torches in his garden. And Peter's saying, honor the emperor. That is baffling. Um, we, can, we can say, well, of course Peter's not saying, let's, let's endorse what this guy's doing. But there's something unique, different, um, totally set apart about the kingdom of God and how we love and how we view other people, even our enemies. I mean, Jesus saying, pray for your enemies, those who persecute you. Um, So much more to be said there, but some thoughts on the political front. Let's jump to related, obviously, but, and uh, goodness, uh, strongly opinionated, but the, the issue the issue of masks and, um, yeah, how do we think biblically, if if you can even say that? How, how does the Bible perhaps even lead us to think about the Christian view on wearing masks, not wearing masks? And I mean, I'll just say, look, I've talked to so many people about this, so many people, um, that I understand the various opinions. I have my own opinions. We all do. And I understand there's those who don't want to wear, I get it. I understand. Those who do, I certainly get it. I understand. Um, is there a way uh, that we could say, okay, look, here's where the, the wisdom from the scriptures leads us to think about something as hotly debated as masks. What are your thoughts there? Oh, wow. That is a big one. Well, first of all, I'd say I do not believe at all that you can say smart people believe this, mm. and anyone who believes this are ignorant people. Yeah. I mean, you can take intellectual tests and IQs and everything. You cannot make that argument at all. So we know that's, that is a given, right? Right. So you can't say that these people over here or these people over here are in the wrong because everyone has some data that convinces them that what they're doing is the right and smart thing to do. Yeah. Now, as Christians, what we can do is say, I'm not going to allow the thought that these people are stupid. Hmm. I'm not going to allow the thought to say, these people are ignorant. 
Mm-hmm. They're just ignorant. Not so. So now you've got two options from the, the extremes here. One, no masks. Mm-hmm. One, mask all the time. Right. And you can come to the middle and it doesn't mean that it's any better, but it's mask sometimes, you know. Sure. Everybody has their different opinions. Now with that, I say, why wouldn't we want every person to hold their conscience on what they think is best for them? Do mm. you think they should? You don't think they should? That's fine. I might be here or there. It doesn't matter. I think that's perfectly fine. Right. I want to respect that. And then I want to ask the question, okay, what I need to be thinking is consider other people, Philippians 2, flip, uh, consider others more important than yourself. Mm. So I say, if I'm with these people, uh, if I have a conviction that I've got to keep a mask on because I fear that this is, and I think this is, okay, I'm going to do that. If, I, if I'm, on the other hand, I'm, if I'm thinking, well, I don't feel like I'm going to need a mask now. I think I'm in a good place. And, but they do. Why wouldn't I put on a mask in the name of love? Mm. Why wouldn't I wear the mask in their presence? Mm-hmm. And now I want to ask, if it's true that a mask for a, a particular person with a particular condition is going to physically do something very, I mean, I've got this kind of asthma issue, blah, sure. blah, blah. Yeah. All right. We understand they're unique situations. But all in all, why wouldn't we all, uh, the argument should be, no, you want mask. I want to wear a mask. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, I wish I could take my mask off. I really do. I can't because I've got, or, or I can because I really don't have a con. Great. Why wouldn't we? It's the same. I used to look at it like, like uh, the music of the church. Mm-hmm. Is this music good and this music bad and this is bad and this is good, but I don't like this and I think this is, and I like that. And I, okay, well, when the song comes to be used, in the service, that you go, that is the most God-awful song I've ever heard in my life, but I know in my heart that there are people sitting here, 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 and here who are reveling mm-hmm. in their embracing of God's love because of that song that is right. horrible song, Yeah. rather than, that's a terrible song, you shouldn't use it. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't I rejoice for my brother or sister? I can't tell you how many times in the church that I pastored We'd use music that I would never go say, they're not bad, it's not the lyrics are wrong or something, but I'd go, oh, that's the worst song in the world. (laughs) And I bet you, I named three or four of them that we've used a hundred times and no one knows how I feel about that song. (laughs) And I could go up and say, stop it. I don't like that song, get rid of it. But what did I do to this brother and sister that I know are just reveling in it? So it gets back to this. Why wouldn't we as a Christian church say love is the highest commandment of all? Right. And go, let's do that. Let's love. What does it mean to love somebody about mask? It's to accept what they're doing and so forth. One other thing. I think we've totally lost the idea that the authority, that there's an authority in the church. Hmm. We believe in the authority of the government. It is an authority. And we believe some, hopefully, still believe in the the authority of the family, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there's also the authority of the church. Yeah. And you know, when God says, "Whatsoever you," referring to the apostles who were going to lay hands on elders that lead the church globally, whatever you bind on earth should be bound in heaven. Mm-hmm. Meaning, yeah. the Lord says, "I'm going to bless that, even though, even if it's a, an unwise decision, it's not going against Scripture." 
submit to the church. Well, there are people today who says, I won't submit to the church because yeah. they don't do what I want them to do. That's right. Yeah. And, and kids are, but if those same people have children who say, I'm not going to sit with my parents because I don't agree with what they're telling me to do. You say, it doesn't matter. I'm your parent. You need to submit to me. Why? Because I'm the parent. Yeah. Same, why wouldn't we just go, gosh, I just hate the church's policy. But you know what? I can submit to it. Yeah. Yeah. But that that mindset is drifting away. Sure. Today. Well, and undergirding that are issues of, you know, hyper-individualism and different things that are sure. going on that, sure. you know, different podcasts for a different day on those fronts. But and of course, like any good parent, the church wants to exercise that authority responsibly and and carefully and not oh, abuse it, right? Course. Not 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 come across as saying, "Well, look, I'm your authority, submit to me no matter what." But there but you make an excellent point. Where is that mindset among the brethren, among the followers of Christ who have committed themselves to the to the authority of the local church biblically? That's so very biblical. And it doesn't mean that you don't appeal to them with counter ideas to sure, say, hey, absolutely. but you do it in love. Like, again, everything's in love. Right. Here, I wouldn't think this is the best thing. Do you want to consider this, this, and this? Fine. Yeah. But keep in mind, there's somebody over here just as powerfully submitting reasons to do it the other way. Right. And so it, it, it's just like we've got to come to the place to say there there is a church that I am a part of, and that church has the responsibility I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to encourage them, and I'm going to I'm going to encourage them to change if I don't like where they are. I'll but, but in a gracious way, I'll encourage. Right. Nothing wrong with that. I always sure. welcome that. Sure. But at the same time, to eventually say we got to we got to make some decisions about what we can do. We can't do everything. And so, what do you do? And that way, you submit. Yeah, and and <laughs> there there is probably no. Uh, no issue like masks that is a no-win situation for anybody in authority, whether it be the church level or government level, whatever. I mean, there's, and, and it reminds me in our conversations that we've had about what you alluded to, and it's not, it's not apples to apples necessarily, but the the, uh, the worship wars of the 1980s. I mean, no matter what you did, oh. somebody's not happy, right? And, <laughs> and that's just part of the nature of it. But biblically, again, let's let's think. Okay, where where might there be scripture that leads us to think? In this way, you refer to Philippians 2, right? Um, Consider others as more important than yourselves. Have the same mind among you as that of Christ Jesus. And so what's that mind? Well, you can sum it up in one word, humility, right? But then you've got uh, another one I'll bring up is, in my mind, and and you comment on this if you agree, there's a lot of similarity here, a lot of application, biblical application that we get out of Romans 14. The, The passage where Paul's instructing the church and there's great division in the church over this issue of eating meat sacrificed to idols. I was idols. thinking the very same thing. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so you have this issue where some in the church are just going, hey, look, we're free. We have freedom. We can eat this meat that's sacrificed to idols. We're no longer under that. We're not bound by that. And then you have others in the church that are saying, oh, my goodness, how could you do such an evil, awful thing as to eat meat sacrificed to idols? And so Paul, the Apostle Paul, gives instruction on that in Romans chapter 14. And and this was his instruction. He said, um, you're right. You do have freedom. You you can eat sacrifice, uh, meat sacrificed to idols. However, and to your point earlier, however, it, what you deem to be the weaker brother in this scenario, be humble, move towards that person, and sacrifice 
your individual freedom that you that's that you exactly have. Exactly the biblical text. Exactly. That's it. That's it. And so with that, and I um, like what you said, who you deem to be the weaker brethren. Right. It doesn't mean that because they take that. Oh, they're just a weak Christian. They they're right. you know, that's not humble. Right. But they have taken the more their conscience really does get grieved over something that my conscience doesn't. Right. Therefore, why wouldn't I move to have to do that which would not grieve anybody's conscience rather than have to leave somebody's conscience grieved? Right. Yes. Yes. So you've got this situation where, you know, one of the things that I've heard many Christians say that has grieved me is, um, and even just, you know, again, what you said a moment ago, hey, it's fine for those in the church to come to your church authority and say, hey, what about this? Or what about that? Mm-hmm, sure. We welcome that, right? Um, but a number of, of the folks have come and said, hey, why don't we just have um, services without masks and those that are afraid to come and worship um, in a service without masks, they can stay home and that's why we have online worship, right? So here we have that scenario. We have a Romans 14 scenario which would be comparing, would say, look, we know we can eat meat. I deem them to be the weaker brother. So just tell them not to come around. And so I hear that, and, and I just think, man, that doesn't sound like the heart of Christianity to me. Well, you know? Yep, I agree with that. Let's gather the strong, if you will, those who are weaker-minded, who I deem to be weaker-minded. Let's, they don't, they don't, have, they don't come around, right? Let's, let's get the strong and those who can't keep up so that illustration you know, is going the wrong direction. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in the sense of the weaker brethren, you want to lift up and help them. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So yeah. It, there's there's this part of what's happening among some within the church is, are we, are we exercising uh, this biblical application of Philippians 2 and Romans 14, considering others as more important than ourselves, uh, dying to self for the sake of those who uh, are among us who carry a different uh, different perspective, right? So great to see the argument between Christians being like the argument between a couple that so love each other that they both had a strong opinion that they want to do one thing, this one wants to do something else, and the argument becomes, I want to do what you want to do. No, I want to do what you want to do. <laughs> and the argument is about... Am I going to do what you want to do? Or you not the argument? Are we going to do what I want to do? Right. The argument. I want to do what you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's th- that's where you want to see if there's division. Let it be in the fight of love for one another. Right. That's the right. Yep. All right. So let's talk now uh, in the few minutes that we have remaining here. Um, let's think about the mission of the church. You know, my my fear is that in in all of the mess of 2020 and all the varying voices of, well, the church should be doing this, and the church should be doing that, and so forth. Uh, w- there's a need, in my opinion, to recenter on, okay, well, what is the mission of the church? Biblically, what has God called us to do? W- who are we to be? Um, in many, many ways, we've got to be students of church history, right, and know that there's there's nothing new under the sun in, in so many ways. There's, there's a lot of what we're dealing with that feels like this is unprecedented. And, and maybe it is in the sense of all this hitting at the same time, but certainly the church has lived through pandemics before. 
political and social unrest before and, and, um, and so forth. But uh, when we think about the mission of the church, um, there's, there's a lot to think about in what many within the church, and I mean Big C Church, are saying, this is what the church should be about in this moment. How do we speak to that? What are, what are thoughts that, that come to mind for you? I, again, I have thoughts, but I, I want to play off what your thoughts are. Yeah, that's a, that's a big subject, and it's an important one. Um, I look at Scripture, and I say, all right, Scripture talks about a lot of things. And you can't say it doesn't speak about this or it doesn't speak about that, and it, it does. you got to ask the question then, how much does it speak about those things? How mm-hmm. much? Because mm-hmm. there is a weight to put in attention. Where do you put the greatest attention? Yeah. You can't put equal attention to everything. Um, you, you never to delete attention to anything that God's Word says that we're to be focused on. But people find their focus here, and then they find their focus here, and we got to ask, well, wait, does the Scriptures push us to a primary focus? I look at Jesus, and, you know, when Jesus said, why did I come? Well, that's pretty central. (laughs) You know, why did you come? Well, I'll tell you why I came. I came to seek and to save the lost. Yeah. That doesn't say, so quit all this other stuff. But it says, there's your primary attention. What I'm be most concerned about is that the people of church, not just our church, but people of church today can walk through this period of time we're in and never probably even think about how am I going about my call to seek and to save the lost. Mm -hmm. I'm to take on the mission of Jesus. Uh, How does Jesus... What is the mission of Jesus? Well, he, he preached and he healed. It was word and deed. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the word was, was really focused on giving them the truth about who he was. And that's what we're to do about him. And to our, our, our healing is serving. We, we serve people and we, we love you know, the, the hurting and we do whatever we can do for them. That's got to be our focus. <clears throat> and so when I see a church... If it gets away from the primary thing being making and training disciples, and this is why this is so important, uh, because when you focus on that and you really do make Christians out of non-Christians, their worldview is going to change. Which way is it going to change? Toward the things of God. You take a new Christian and you begin to train them as a Christian. What happens? They begin to think God's thoughts. And then all those other things can now be embraced by a larger kingdom yeah. that's impressing the next kingdom on this earth or the kingdom on this earth. And so I always say, make the main thing the main thing. Yeah. When you get away from the main thing being the main thing, get ready for problems. It's not going to be, it's never going to accomplish what God has called us to do when we make the non-main thing the main thing. Right. Right, and the gospel is the main thing. Gospel is right. the main thing. That's it. Absolutely. Uh, certainly, many, many, many gospel implications. Like as as we become a people more and more centered around the gospel and the mission of getting the gospel to yeah. people of every tongue, tribe, and nation. There's all kinds of implications as it applies horizontally to our relationships and to and to how we think politically or whatever it may be. Um, and by the way, God calls individual Christians 
to kind of give some uh, intense focus in certain areas. Mm-hmm. Yep. But and nothing wrong with that. Right. But when they began to th- here's the danger when they began to think this way, everybody should be given their primary attention where I am. Yeah. And say, well, no, maybe maybe God's called you to give some special help and insight and so forth, more so than I'm going to give. But let's all keep in mind that, you know, <laughs> to seek and save the lost, to yeah. seek and save the lost, that's got to be the key, key, key thing. Yeah. You know, Randy, one of my concerns uh, that I feel like I'm observing, and this is on both sides, if you will, of the political aisle, that those in the church are becoming so... Um, I'll choose my words wisely here as best I can, becoming so committed to their political stance that they're actually losing the ear of those who don't know Jesus mm-hmm. who are Absolutely. on the other side of the fence. Absolutely. Right? And so uh, it, it, we're fighting this battle to say, man, we have to have these uh, these political ideals in place, and we're fighting so hard for that, Some some of us are, that we're alienating the very ears of the ones who most need to hear the gospel. But, no doubt. But what they're hearing instead is not the gospel. They're hearing uh, um, uh, language towards, you better embrace this I, this political ideology right? if you want to have a seat here at the church, right? Exactly. So, uh, that concerns me greatly because you look biblically, that's not the mission of the church. It's not where God has called his church uh, to invest in, in terms of the main thing, the main thing. Uh, one last question that, uh, and we'll wrap up with this. When you look at everything going on, uh, how does the doctrine of the sovereignty of God play into all this? And it not be a cop-out. You know, it not be, well, I'm not going to care about this or that because God's in control. He's sovereign, right? Which many times... Those who believe deeply in the doctrine of the sovereignty of God within his church globally can get accused of that, of like, oh, well, you're just going to, you know, you're going to take a seat on this one because you believe in the, in the sovereignty of God, and that's a cop-out answer. So in the most healthy way possible, how do we think about the reality that God is sovereignly reigning over all things, but that doesn't negate our responsibility to be engaged in responsible ways with the world around right. us. You just said it. I mean, I was, those were the, you took the very words I was about to say. I was going to say, the, the reality is, what a wonderful cop-out. I have no <laughs> problem with that cop-out. Yeah. Call it a cop-out. If that's a negative term, don't call it a cop-out. But where it becomes an inappropriate cop-out is when you become irresponsible because of that. But to be able to say, you know what? God is in control. Yeah. So be it. I'm going I'm to trust him. He'll figure that out. He's got it figured out. He didn't have to figure it out. It's already figured out. Right. And, but I have to remain responsible at what God has called me to do in balance with all the other things God's called me to do. But what I'm going to do is say, I'm going to hold on to that truth. I'm just going to hang on to it. And in a sense, it does shadow all these, but what if this, or what if that, and what if that? Mm. You know, well, it's cop, called a cop out, but you know what? I don't need to go there. Right. You know, think on the truth. Think on what is, not what could happen and all that. If not, I'm not, if I'm not worrying, I'm copping out. No, you know, cop out is not because you're not worrying. Right. So don't worry. Just say, because I know the truth. What is the truth? God's in control. He's got this. It's going to be okay. If I, I always think this thought over and over and over again, I think, God, if I could right now 
peel the curtains of heaven and see everything you know right now that's freaking me out. Right, right. I wouldn't be freaked out. In fact, I'd be going, Yeah. Way to go, God. Right. That is incredible. Yep. But so in a sense, I go, let's go for the cop out, but be responsible. Sure. Yeah. I think about uh the importance of knowing our history, the history of the church, the history of just in general, but particularly the church. How many times we've seen this this cycle, if you will, of where the church becomes convinced we are losing, we are uh, we're dwindling. We have, oh my goodness, let's panic. Look at what's happening all around us. We don't have the voice we used to have, so on and so forth. And then out of that, God brings revival. And um, I just. I, I somewhat at some level, I don't want to say I'm a prophet here by any means, but I, I sense that's what's what God's doing again, uh, where we are experiencing hardship, we're experiencing trials and tribulation. Uh, I think some years ahead of us are going to be profound in terms of what God's going to stir up within the church out of a season like this. He's done it so many times before when the church is panicking and he says, just trust me. I'm sovereignly working something that, you know, you're going to be amazed at. So, um, you know, Jeff, I just, I just heard someone that was taking just in the nineties, uh, the 1990s, uh, or no, I'm sorry. It was earlier than that. I think it was maybe the, the, uh, the twenties maybe, but whatever they did, they just looked at this crisis and then it was almost 10 years, this crisis. And then it was almost 10 years, this crisis. Mm-hmm. And every decade or so, there within every decade, there is a major crisis yeah. where we went, it ain't going to get worse than this. Right. You know? And then I've been reading uh, Christian history of mm-hmm. late. And when you go back and you see the history of the church globally, these are the best days ever. I mean... All we got's a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. In some sense you can say that because sure. in terms of Christians, because these Christians are being killed for doing this, and these Christians are being killed, and these you just see the martyrdom, the way things have happened. Yeah. Uh, and it's still happening in other countries today. Sure. The truth of it is, this is a broken world. It's gonna always be pain ridden. If we think oh, we gotta figure out how to live without pain, forget it. Mm. But once we begin to say that's hmm. to be expected because God uses pain to bring what we need, which is what you're saying here. Right. He uses this in our lives, and we know that as Christians. What, what does he use? Good, good experiences and everything positive? Or no, we go, no, he uses pain and suffering and trials and tribulation and all that. Oh, well, that's what we're having. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. in a sense, it is. I'll I'll close with this in light of that. I, I thought this was a great quote from um, a pastor in Australia, a guy named Mark Sayers. He says this. He says, what we have in the progressive West is a culture that has insulated itself from suffering, pain, and death. There is something of the glory of God to be tasted, touched, and shaped by in moments when you are marginalized, suffering, and in exile. Yeah. And that's that's what we see on repeat throughout the history of the church. You think about the sovereignty of God, what does it mean? Well, it means we care, but we don't panic. 
Exactly. So with that, we'll wrap up this episode. Thanks for joining us today. So glad that you tuned in for this. Randy, thank you for joining me for your wisdom and your perspective is so very helpful. Um, You can go to perimeter.org forward slash podcast to check out our other podcasts. We do another one here at Perimeter called Digging Deeper, where we take what we're teaching on Sunday mornings and uh, dig a little deeper. So check that out if you will. Again, thanks for joining us. Be blessed.